0: This is episode number ninety-seven with Trish Knutsen. You're listening to American Snippets, the All-American podcast for those looking to dream bigger, live better, and make an impact. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to American Snippets. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's show. Uh, First off, Barb and I would like to apologize for not having a podcast episode out to you last week. It was just a crazy, hectic week. We were traveling. We had Memorial Day weekend. And then last minute, uh, Barb was invited uh, to come on to Fox News, uh, Fox and Friends first, uh, 4.15 a.m. early Monday morning. Uh, on Memorial Day to talk about her story being a Gold Star, our Gold Star wife, and how a lot of Gold Star families are struggling with their survivor benefits because of some of the uh, tax laws that are in place. Uh, There's a new bill out there that's trying to get passed to remedy the situation. Uh, But again, it was just a super crazy week. We actually traveled to Dallas. We were in Dallas for three days leading up to Memorial Day weekend to support our good friend Tim Klund. Uh, Tim is an amazing person and really good friend. And each year he puts on these celebrity softball games. And this is the first time he's done one on Memorial Day. So we went out to support him uh, and the Mo- Memorial Day Celebrity Softball Classic, which raised awareness and money for a really great charity organization called Carry the Load. Um, Tim also does a celebrity softball game in the fall called the Red River Celebrity Softball Classic. Matthew McConaughey has been involved in that. He's going to be in that game again this year with a ton of other celebrities. So just a really cool event. Tim does some amazing things. So if you want to learn more about Tim and the celebrity softball games, check out the interview that we did with him back on episode 82, AmericanStippets.com forward slash 082. So again, we don't miss many podcast episodes. We're pretty consistent here with delivering one each and every week for you, sometimes two, you know, twice a week. Um, but we're going to make up for it with today's episode. Uh, we have an amazing guest for you, an amazing interview. Her name is Trish Knudsen. And Trish broke through age and gender barriers to earn the point position on a Phoenix SWAT team. She was living her dream in one of the most dangerous jobs out there until the day she was shot on duty. Having overcome trauma and challenges from the time she was a little girl, Trish tapped into her hard-earned resiliency skills to rebuild her life yet again when she could no longer continue in the career that she loved. Trish's story is not only compelling, it offers lessons and insight for anyone feeling overwhelmed with pain, grief, and odds that are stacked against you. So without further ado, here is Barbara Allen with Trish Knutson.
1: Welcome back to another episode of American Snippets. I am your co-host, Barb Allen. All of our lives have a story. You hear us talk about it all the time. Many of you are familiar with my story and Dave's journey that brought us to where we are. Um, A lot of us have arcs in our lives. It's not just one central story. If you live a full and invested life, you tend to have several different story arcs in your life. That is just my own personal opinion. But I feel like the more arcs you have, the more invested you are into your world, which leads it into all sorts of areas that you can never anticipate. A commonality among our guests, whether they are business leaders, entrepreneurs, heroes in service to others, whether they're celebrities or small town people making an impact on so many other people's lives, is they all have several of those different arcs to their life story, which makes it compelling, fascinating, inspirational. And today's guest is absolutely no exception whether you are someone who is in search of your own life's purpose, whether you are in pursuit of your purpose, whether you're lucky enough to be living that purpose, or perhaps you're reeling from the loss of that purpose you worked so hard to earn and lived so well, you are going to want to pay close attention to today's guest, Trish Knudsen. She worked her ass off to become one of the top positions on the Phoenix SWAT team. She is going to tell you all about that here in a bit. She overcame the loss of her brother and father when she was just a very young child. She watched her partner on the job die in front of her as she tried desperately to save him. Then after living her dream in her words in one of the most dangerous jobs out there, Trisha's life took another turn when she endured more trauma and tragedy before ultimately losing that purpose that she worked so hard to achieve. Listen in today as she talks to us about how she fought to earn that purpose, how she fought to keep it, how she overcame her struggles along the way, and what she's doing now in her life as she found her new footing. Whatever you are doing right now, make sure you pay close attention as she walks us through all of that because it is not only going to be interesting and compelling, it is going to have a ton of insight for you whatever you are facing now. Trish, thank you so much for joining us here today.
2: Oh, thank you for having me. It's so wonderful to connect with you today.
1: It is. I love this. Part of what what we love about what we do is connecting with the people we get to connect with. And especially when it happens like this, we only got the opportunity to connect with you because somebody who listened in on our story about Jason, that was episode 93, reached out to us and said, oh my goodness, I have you know, somebody else that you need to speak to like that. And for us, there's no greater compliment than when we are referred to someone who trusts us, you know, with someone important to them. So your story,
2: right.
1: your story is crazy.
2: It's crazy. been a ride. It's <laughs> uh, been a ride from the beginning to the end. And the storyline that I had myself, um, how I, as a kid, thought I, my life would play out is as far from that as, as you can imagine. It uh, is. Isn't nuts to look rock. back
1: and think? Yes. And, yes. and so especially, you know, that when you're young and you're in this groove and you're like, oh, this is what my life is going to be. Or when you get to a point and you achieve that and you're like, I got it locked and loaded. Like this is what I, I did. it. Oh yeah. This is what it's going to be. Right. Boom. Yes. And I had a
2: plan from when I was a kid to how my plan, how my life would look. And I had it up until about 30 years old. And then everything changed and it it took a right turn. It wasn't even like a a slight angle. It was a right turn. Yeah. But that's what made it fun.
1: Yeah. Well, fun. Interesting. Interesting. (laughs) I mean, fun too. I'm sure there's fun along the way, but I even love that you said that because people, if you like lock that into your minds that she actually just said it's fun because I I get how she says that, but when you hear what she went through, you're going to be stunned that she can call it fun, Um, but that is just more of a props to you and a a huge lesson learned in that no matter what happens, what comes your way, it is your mindset, how you approach it, and uh, you you can choose to still find the fun in life, or you can choose to shut it out, and I'm I'm glad that you found the fun. You had a role model in your mother from a very young age on how to deal with, E- not just small problems, enormous problems and tragedy. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, um, I was born and raised in Houston. Um, so that's where my, my family, they're, they're all back there. And um, growing up, um, there were four of us kids. And at the age of four, we lost my brother to meningitis. And then two years later, we lost my father to lung cancer.
1: Wow. So
2: our family really faced diversity, like for me at a young age. And it was so amazing. Um, I didn't really understand death at a young age, but it was amazing uh, to look at my mom and and how she treated it. She went from a stay-at-home mom with this beautiful family, beautiful life, to now I've lost a son, I've lost a, a husband, and I have these three kids to care for. And believe it or not, to throw it in the story, my grandmother lived with us and she was crippled. Wow didn't have a job and all of a sudden overnight, she had to go find a job, she had to provide for us kids. And it was amazing because I don't ever remember her crying or being this woe is me, you know, woe is us. And in fact, it was just the opposite. She literally sat us down and was like, these are the cards that have been dealt to us. This is, you know, what we have. We only have each other, we'll make it through together. We can't cry over spilt milk. And those were her words, not ours. Yeah. And, um, we've got to move forward. And that's as kids, we were like, okay, mom, we're moving forward. And that was it in, in every day. It wasn't easy, but you would have never have known she was struggling because she just woke up every morning and took on life. And that's, it was the most incredible role model. Um, for me, I mean, for me, and, and still every, in, as, As far along in life as I've made it, I still look back and there are moments when I'm like, I can't believe what my mother did. I mean, it it would have, in my eyes, I think, God, would that have crushed me to lose a a son and a husband and have these kids to care for and, and try to make life work. And she did without even missing a step.
1: Wow. I was so impressed by that. I am so impressed. I, You know, we talked a little bit before. We started the interview, it shared, I, I lost my husband when my kids were six, five, three, and one years old, tragic circumstances. Right. And I, I am right up gonna admit, I did not handle it the way your mom sounds like she handled it. And so I am just in awe of her when you, I, I know firsthand some of that struggle, not even half of the struggle right. she made. Right. So I think you're blessed to have had her to guide you through. Uh, how did that impact? How, tell us quick, quickly again, after that happened, after your dad died, your, not only your family dynamics changed, but your financial situation changed. You were, Correct, correct. That sort of led you down this path.
2: Believe it or not, um, it's so funny that later in life, I became a police officer because during that time period in our life, when I was a child and when we were struggling, and you didn't really know it, but you knew it. Yeah. Um, we had no money. And my mom was trying to do the best that she could. And you could see the neighborhood changing around us and the neighborhood started to become rougher and tougher and a little more violent. Um, it seemed like with, with each day. And um, it's so funny that I became a police officer because I remember as a kid when our neighborhood got really bad, um, police officers would show up in our, in our area and intervene on disturbances, on fights. And I remember every time seeing them thinking, that's crazy what they do. I would, I I mean, it's just crazy that two officers come in and they take care of 20 people. Yeah. And it's funny because personally it affected me because I had to call police one time, the police department one time myself as like an eight or a 10 year old kid. I was at home alone with my grandmother and uh, there's all sorts uh, sorts of shenanigans going on outside. And um, I thought, I've, I've got to do it. I've got to call the police to come out and help us. And But that was a big no-no in our world because as a kid, you were taught, unless the world is ending, you do not call the police department. Right. So I'm thinking, oh, my mom's going to be upset with me, but there's a lot of stuff going on. So I finally just think, all right, I'm going to call them. I can kind of blame grandma if I need to. And so it wasn't like it is now where you push a button and it's an emergency call or you do the 911 on your cell phone. It was literally go find the white pages, Uh uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. thumb through them, find the page that lists the emergency numbers, and then punch in or dial in, you know, the rotary phones, yes. dial in the number, and 10 minutes later, you're connected with the police department on the other end right. of the line, and I remember calling and telling them what was going on, and in a few minutes, an officer comes to the door, and no offense to him, but when he knocks on the door, I open the door, and he kind of has that... Hey, little miss, what can I do for you? And he was this small structure, or small framed officer. Um, and he looked, if I was 10, he might've looked like he was 15. Right. And I thought, oh my gosh. And I'm looking out the door thinking, We're, please tell me you brought more people. And he just is like, what's the problem? And I tell him and he's like, I'll take care of it. And he takes off. And I shut the door like he's going to die. Literally, they're going to eat him alive out on the street. And it's funny because he came back and he told me, he goes, ah, problem solved. And if you have any other problems, get a hold of me. And he walks off, gets in his car and leaves. And I remember distinctly remember saying to myself, I will never, ever do that job. That's the one time and only that I've ever said, never, ever, I will never yeah. do that. You know, and I guess, you know, never say never. Right. Um, 20 years later, here I, you know, here I was um, going through the police academy. So it's crazy how it all unfolds.
1: It is. It is. Did, you, did I see somewhere that you initially wanted to be a firefighter?
2: Yeah. I, um, and that was just, um, it was, I was, um, I'll explain that. Uh, I was very athletic as a child, and all the way through, I played college ball, and I played a little international ball after college. Um, and on one of these um, competitions I, that I went to, um, I met a Phoenix firefighter and um, when in our downtime she would talk about how great Phoenix Fire was and tell me all the things about the department and the job I thought well that's that's pretty interesting and she left it with I think you would be a good firefighter if you ever decided to do if you ever want to change jobs you'd probably make a good firefighter and Phoenix is a great place to work so fast forward to about uh, age 30 I'm at a crossroads with my life of what I want to do and I'm having to change jobs. And I think back to that day and I just decided, well, I'll go to Phoenix and become a firefighter. How hard can it be? So I pick up everything and I moved to Phoenix because it wasn't in the days when you could really Google much and figure out right. the process or anything. So I just picked up, I, I was at a point where I could, I picked up everything moved to Phoenix. I knew a, people that, a few people there and i decide i'm going to be this firefighter so i start contacting people and um, i figure i'll just fill out an application and they'll look at my application and they'll hire me that's you know pretty much how i figured it would happen not realizing that it's a process it's a several step process they only test several times a year and they had just finished testing when i arrived in phoenix so that was my plan a And I really didn't have a plan B and plan A was now flushed down the toilet. I I had no plan A. So I started doing a couple part-time jobs. And in that process, I run, I start meeting people in Phoenix and having, you know, developing friendships. And um, some of those people I met were police officers. And when I was telling them about, you know, having to wait for fire and struggling with finding jobs and everything else, they would Again, talk just like the firefighter did, talk about how great Phoenix uh, police de- how the, great the police department was and how great the job was. And I would remind them of my story from when I was a kid, saying that they were crazy, and there's no way I was going to be a police officer. But the more I met with them, the more they told me stories, and the more they kind of prompted me to go put it in my application. So one day I figured, well, what, the, what can it hurt? I'll put it in. It's, it's the same thing. It's a process. so okay. it'll probably take several months. And I, um, lo and behold, I put in my process. All right. I'm sorry. I put in my application and I put it in, I think in February and in April, I was hired. I was standing on the, oh, my
1: goodness. Grounds.
2: oh yeah, I was fast-tracked wow. and again, it was a gut yet. You'll see a recurring theme here. I, even when I pulled up to the Academy, I was like, this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. I was fighting it the entire way yeah. because it was just something that as a kid, I, did, I told myself I wouldn't be.
1: And did you say you were, you were like 30 when you did this?
2: 30, yes.
1: Wow, that is another I, awesome
2: I, I actually got on the department out. at, yeah, I actually yeah. got on the department, I think I started the day after my 32nd birthday.
1: Wow, yeah. were you like? Yeah. Were you among the oldest in the class? Were you, were,
2: um, you I was up the there, definitely.
1: The median age, yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah I, was, I think there was one or two people that were older than I, than I was. But, you know, I was awesome. definitely on the tail end of that. Yeah. That's awesome. Which people is another.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of people like in their 20s who are getting pressured. If you don't figure out what you're going to do by now, it's too late. You, like you think you have this timeline set up. By the time I'm 30, I need to have this career established. I need to be well in. I need to be this, that, 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 that. Those mm-hmm. boxes don't need to be checked at any particular no. time in life. Yeah, you just And you I get- was
2: clueless to that. Yeah. I just figured, well, if I can do the job, I can do the job. I mean, love it. it. Love I was- it. Love Physically, I could do it. I was, I was, I was pretty fit, you know, through all my athletic competitions and everything. So that was the easy part of the job. This, the hard part was just making that transition to becoming a police officer.
1: Right. So, so you did it. So now you are a police officer, and I love. I, I mean, after talking to Jason and hearing all the years it took him to become a police officer. And you did it. So that's two different sides of the coin. It took Jason, for people who aren't familiar, Jason Schechterly, again, episode 93, took him like three different tries, several years. Right. And you walk in, you're 30, now 32 year old or whatever. Correct. Right. You, you walk in and you nail it. God bless you. God bless you for doing that. So, what is it like then? You are now a police officer. It's, it is kind of a male dominated career. Oh, and you didn't you know, go, you then became a SWAT officer.
2: Yes. Yes. I, and I was never intimidated by the, the fact that it was a male dominated career, yeah. you know, um, a, a job. Um, I, I think again, because I was physically fit, so I could compete with any of them for the most part. Um, and I, I, being a police officer was incredible. It was so, so much fun, so exciting. And you really, it wasn't so much guy, girl out there. It was just, it was officer to officer. Awesome. Um, So yeah, it was a a pretty incredible experience and where I struggled initially with the, should I be a police officer? Once I hit the streets, there was no question. I was bought and paid for because it was just so much fun uh, until it wasn't. And as you well know, um, Jason and I share somewhat of the same experience with the, the tragic events that can happen in police work.
1: Yeah, are you open to talking about what happened?
2: Sure, um, I was about a year and a half on the department and uh, again, living the dream, having fun every day and we had a very close squad. And back in March of 1999, uh, one of my squad mates who was the best friend of mine at the time was ambushed in, and killed in the line of duty. And I actually responded to the scene um, it was, I actually responded to the vehicle that he was in and uh, with another officer did CPR on him. And it was, a, it was a huge struggle because up to that point, I was having the time of my life and it was very hard to process as I stood over my friend thinking, my gosh, how did this happen? 30 minutes ago, I was talking to you wow. and now I'm holding you in my hands
1: wow.
2: and I'm trying to breathe life into you and knowing the reality of it, reality of it in my head. Because realistically, I knew that he had passed, yeah. but I was trying to do everything I could to make that not be true. Um, and that that day really um, it redefined me as a, a as a police officer. Um, we all struggled with Mark's loss. It, it destroyed me, if, you know, with his loss. Um, it made me feel vulnerable. Um, it made me question the community that we worked for, because it was one of those where, as I'm standing there with him, I'm thinking, we, gave, we, we give our community everything we have every day and this is what we get in return. Yeah. And I, I quickly realized, because the community came to um, support us um, right after the event, and they made it, um, they really, uh, they told us in so many different ways how this was not reflective of the community that we worked in, that these were bad apples in that community. These were bad people that were in their community, but it was what happened was not reflective of the community. So that was nice to hear right away. I bet. It, yeah. it, it actually gave me, his death gave me uh, meaning to the job. It wasn't just a job anymore after his death. It was, I, it, I had purpose. It was the, every day I hit the streets, it was about Mark not letting his, death be in vain. It was about the community, not ever having anyone in the community experience the hurt that I felt that day when we lost Mark. Yeah. So it kind of redefined how I, who I was as a police officer, which was actually an, a pretty incredible experience to go through. It was very heartbreaking, but you know, once you make it out, you know, you, it, it transforms you.
1: Well, is, is there something you can think of if you knew, say for instance, you knew somebody going through that same exact thing right now, whether it be another police officer or someone who just had something like that traumatic happen to them that they feel like at first changes everything for them, makes them question their life, their purpose, their career, or what they're doing. Is there something that you held on to that helped you get through that that you think may be able to help other people do the same?
2: I think the thing that helped me the most was when I identified, I can't make it through by myself that this problem was so much bigger than anything I'd ever dealt with. Even though I dealt with death early on in my life, this was so different. It was a violent death. It was the, I was just talking to him and now he's gone. And I think for me, um, one thing the department did that was really nice was when we did go back out onto the streets, they sent the SWAT team over to ride with us. So as we went out on the street, we had this badass sitting next to us, and they—they, they, um, you didn't feel as vulnerable with them sitting next to you, of course, and then they also were seasoned officers, and what they brought to me was, I've been through this before. I'm telling you that we can make it out on the other side. You just we, We'll do this together, and wow. it was the first time, because of the way I was raised, it was always, if you have a problem, you take care of the problem yourself. Mm-hmm. So that's my attitude going into this. And very quickly, I realized I can't take care of this one by myself. And that's where these seasoned officers were put in place for put in with, you know, in place with us yeah. to take us along and go, We get it. You're struggling, but we will help you through this. This ride, you're not going to walk this walk alone. We're going to be with you every step of the way. And if I could bring. If I could tell people anything, that would be it. Is that you don't walk the walk alone. When the when it gets dark and when it gets difficult, there are so many people that want to help you. You just have to be willing to accept that and to acknowledge that, and, and it makes the 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 path so much easier. On the on the flip side,
1: that is awesome. And I yes, I learned that one the hard way, but. Uh that's i think we all do great 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 message to have so it was like you had not only people to back you up and protect you but they served as mentors to you too mentors and grief exactly
0: you're listening to the american snippets podcast Hey, everyone. Dave Brown here again, and we'll get right back to our interview with Trish Knutson in just a minute. But Barb and I have a huge announcement to make. We just released our early bird offer for our Great American Summit. It's called the Patriot Pass. Again, we're putting on our very first live event called the Great American Summit. It's a power packed two day live event in Washington, D.C. in April of 2020, hosted by myself and Barbara Allen. And it brings together some of the country's most extraordinary influencers, business leaders, heroes, veteran entrepreneurs, and personal development experts in what will be a high-intensity, electrifying, value-driven live event. There will be nothing like this going on anywhere in the country. This will not be your typical boring conference This is the link between patriotism and personal and professional achievement. It's for those who want to challenge themselves to dream bigger, live better, and make an impact. So you're going to want to take advantage of this early bird offer and get your Patriot Pass. There's only going to be about 150 to 100 of these available. It is the most exclusive summit experience possible. It is our platinum access option for attendees who want to have the ultra exclusive experience with our event hosts, our speakers, our performers, in addition to full red on carpet treatment and exclusive access to the Great American Reception, which is a very intimate VIP mixer with Gary Sinise Taya Kyle, and others. So you're not going to want to miss this event. You're not going to want to be there without a Patriot Pass. So go to greatamericansummit.com right now and secure your Patriot Pass today. Now back to our interview.
1: That's extraordinary. And that the police department had the insight and the compassion and the commitment to do that is something that should be noted. I think that sounds like they went above and beyond to you know, to help navigate the aftermath. Right.
2: And, and I always tell that when I tell people that story, I kind of say it in a surprise tone. Like I was surprised that the department yeah. did this, but the department, it's not their first rodeo. Unfortunately, they've been through this before. So they've identified what they know what's going to happen. And yes. I'm so happy that they're forward thinking in knowing that. And, and hopefully they share that with other departments, the smaller departments that don't yeah. have that experience you know fortunately even
1: so it's a there's plenty of institutions organizations that experience the same thing over and over and refuse to learn from them refuse to adapt refuse to take those steps so the fact that they do is like to me oh, it's I like that's more the exception than the norm and, and i feel like they could and even from hearing jason's story how they dealt with that too it seems like that yeah. police department is one that could be held up to others to look at to a higher standard So is that that introduction to the SWAT team? Is that what inspired you to pursue becoming a member of of SWAT?
2: Uh, You know, honestly, um, believe it or not, a little side note, uh, through one of those SWAT cops that ended up in my car, um, Later on, uh, we became very good friends, and later on, we ended, I ended up marrying one of those SWAT cops.
1: Yay! So, but
2: in, yeah, a good. if there's a silver lining to every story, you know, <laughs> story that's yep. what it is. But what was funny, what inspired me to become a SWAT cop was that I would come home every night, and I thought I had a cool job at the time. I was on our, our quick response team, which we did a lot of different things. Okay. And I would come home, and at the dinner table, we would do the, hey, honey, how was your day? How was your day? And I would tell a story like, oh, this is a great story. We did this, this, this. And so I'd ask my husband, being on the SWAT team, well, would you do? Yeah. And He would start to tell his story. And I'm like, "Ah, oh, you topped mine again. So I got tired of being topped at the dinner table on stories. And I thought, well, heck, I'm just going to try out for the SWAT team. Why not? It just seemed like the natural progression also uh, in my life. Why not? If you're going to do something, go all in. Yeah. So... I tested um, for the team. I did very well and ended up um, within the first six months of after testing, um, I got pulled over to the team and um, I loved it. It was, it was great. And um, for me, I was on a fast track with that also within uh, the first six months of being on the team, I got moved up into the point cover position, which for people that don't understand that that's the number two person in the door. And to me, I felt like that was a great honor. I loved it. It was a lot of responsibility. And then uh, once our point guy, who's the number one guy in the door, retired, then I got moved up into that position. And that was the-
1: In your 30s, leading the SWAT team through the door into ridiculously dangerous situations. This is not like a normal day on the job for- For we were very
2: busy. We were uh, Phoenix SWAT team is extremely yeah. an extremely busy team, and yeah, we yeah I was there, and I, it was such an honor as a police officer to be on the SWAT team. It was such an honor as a a SWAT operator to be in that point position because that's a team leader position, and then to add in the female aspect of it, yep. um, I, I was just I was living the dream. Yeah, I was. What is I it like
1: very... to be the first person through the door in a hostile situation?
2: Um. You know, it's a lot of uh, training and reaction to be honest. You have a half a second to identify the threats. And so everything happens very quickly. So you get very good at um, um, reacting right away. And that's pretty much what, what you do. The door comes open and you look at the first immediate threat and you, you set the tone for everything that's going to happen behind you. Right. Um, and it's, it's exciting. It's very exciting. It's very challenging. Um, no two situations are the same um some of them are similar but no two situations are the same but that's what makes it so exciting
1: yeah and um, lesson applicable to life from that training you could take everything that you just said you could take that and apply it to life all the challenges everything that you face everything that comes at you talk right. then um about there was one night where things did not go as planned and this changed your life again
2: right right um September of 2013, uh, we were called out by patrol um, to help them. They were out with an armed suspect. They were in a standoff with an armed suspect. And short story, a long story short, I guess, uh, we arrive on scene. We set up. We're much closer than we normally would like to be. Um, Whenever you're dealing with armed suspects, someone with a gun, you want distance as your friend. And in this situation, we were literally 20 feet away from the person. That was how it laid out. Yeah, so it was a, it was a bad situation I'll see. Um, and we, we negotiated with this subject uh, for hours and um, at one point uh, the negotiations, uh, it wasn't working and it turned into a, a lethal confrontation and what ended up happening, um, which kind of threw a twist into everything, was that to start this off, a flashbang was thrown, which is a diversionary device, a destruction device that throws up a bunch of smoke. Um, emits a bright light and does a loud boom and it just it's thrown um, for the purpose of giving us a few seconds for a tactical advantage. So we throw that out. And it's dark. So we have lights portable lighting up. Well, when we throw the flashbang out it goes up it throws out a bunch of smoke pulls up a bunch of debris from the ground and there's a second floor landing and all of this debris and smoke gets caught between the ground floor where we were at and the second floor landing and now you have these lights that are shining on that smoke, but we create our own whiteout for the most part. We lose yeah. sight of the subject and he's only, he's only 20 feet away from us. So that's a very bad situation to be in. And you're thinking, well, he has three options. He can stay exactly where he's at, the bad guy can. He can start firing at us and we can't see him, or he could actually get up and move and, and close on us or move and shoot yeah. at us. And that's Two of those three are very bad. Yeah. Yeah, so what ends up happening is I move a little bit. Everybody's kind of doing this look left, look right, trying to figure out where he's at. And I move, uh, take a step to my left. And when I do, there's a gap in the smoke and I can see him. And he's now at almost full presentation with his gun, pointing it at me, at us. Oh my God. All the people there standing there with us. And so immediately, I'm already behind the curve because he's already almost full presentation, meaning pointing the gun straight at me. And uh, so I immediately bring my rifle up, I give him four, four rounds, lethal rounds on the chest, which in what you would think would stop a threat. Um, unfortunately, we always say you have the pump in the computer and I took out the pump, but the computer was still going. So he was able to complete what he'd already put into action, which is firing the weapon. So he fires two rounds, one round hits me, drops me down to the ground, and the other round hits my less lethal guy. And he gets hit in the vest. And the less lethal guy retreats out of the scene. And then the other officers on scene finish the gunfight. So what ends up to me is uh, happening to me is I end up on the ground on my rifle in the middle of a gunfight. I've been hit. And if you can imagine, um, I was hit in the leg. And if you can imagine in a walking stance where you have left leg in front of right leg, I take one round and he goes across the front of my left thigh, splits me open. hits me on the inside of my right thigh, really high up, right at the underwear line. And usually when I say that, all the men say, Ooh, they're like, oh, and I have to let them know that that's an important area for women too.
1: Yes. So yes.
2: getting hit there for anybody is bad. Nope. So it hits me at the underwear line, goes through my leg and hits my femur bone. And both my femur bone and the bullet explode in my leg. And it just takes out my leg and drops me to the ground. So, I, and I don't know if you want me to continue or not. It's a, an incredible thought process that goes through your mind when you have trauma. I, yeah, I
1: for some people it slows down, for some people it speeds up, some people don't remember anything, but you said you actually had like a survival checklist. You just went into all business mode. Like, okay, right, I'm going to take right. this, like self-assessment.
2: Yes, I, uh, I hit the ground and immediately there's a gazillion thoughts that go into your head or yeah. into my head. And it's not like they're bouncing in and out they're, I'm actually processing. If I could capture that moment, I'm processing a million thoughts. And the most significant two probably were, okay, I've been shot. It hurts. It really sucks. There's nothing I can do about it. And I think it goes right back to what we talked about earlier with my mom. There's yeah. nothing I can do about it. There's no, no reason to freak out over it. It is what it is. The second thought I had was don't shoot your toes off. Because under stress you revert back to your training. And my training was we, we'd done training a million times of being down on the ground, shooting from the ground. And what you do is you flip over and you have to make sure your toes are out of the way because you're shooting down the front side of your body. So in my head, I was saying, okay, don't shoot your toes off because I was already in the process of trying to get off my gun and re-engage a suspect. Yeah. That's what we were trained to do. So I tried that a couple times and I was dead weight on my on my gun. I couldn't get my my midsection to get off my gun. And about the time that I could, I realized all my guys were downrange. So I was out of the gunfight. And yeah. pretty much when you're out of the gunfight, I'm a big team player. But when I'm out of the gunfight, it's like it's now about me. And I've right. been shot, it's now about me. So the thoughts that went through my head were I did this checklist in my head, because my life has run off a checklist. And it's a good column and a bad column. And I immediately started processing. Okay, I'm I'm cognizant. I know what's going on around me. So that's a check in the good good column. Um, I next start to wiggle my toes, and I I'm thinking, okay, because being an athlete, paralysis like don't take my legs yeah. away from me. So yeah. paralysis always been a fear. So I wiggle my toes, and I'm like, perfect, my toes are wiggling. And as I go to put the check mark in that column. I start thinking, well, wait a minute, I saw this 60 Minutes special. Well, was it on 60 Minutes? Yeah, it was on 60 Minutes. It was a special when they talked to people that had had their limbs amputated and they could have this shadow filling. And I'm doing all this in my head as I'm laying on the ground. And I'm like, no, 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 no. My checklist, it's my survival. It's my toes are wiggling. And then um, I, I, I'm not sure if people know I'm, I've hit the ground, that I've been shot. And about that time, the guys put their hands on me. They flip me over and I'm like, check, they know I'm here. Yeah. They grab me, they start pulling me out. And I, um, I immediately, I thought that because of the force of the round, I thought that they would, um, there would be somebody running beside me saying, hey, I've got her leg. So I reached down immediately and I put, yeah, I put hands on my leg and it's, disfor- it's deformed, but it's still attached to my body. So I'm like, oh, good. You know, that's in the good column. So I'm doing this checklist.
1: Crazy. As they're
2: dragging me out. Yeah. And um, it was very interesting. Once they get me out, there were so many things that were going on. They yelled, I had a couple officers that yelled, um, I have a tourniquet, which isn't what you want to hear. I'd rather right. them say, hey, I've got a band, you know, a right. band right, a right. slap that bad boy on and yeah. get going. Um, but they never put the tourniquet on. So I figured, well, obviously they didn't need a tourniquet. Check in the good column. Um, that they, is uh,
1: wild that you were able to process all of that in that but maybe sometimes it could be like a defense mechanism too, like to yield off the shock like if you if you want to take control back you're like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna just focus on this and feel like i can have some kind of control but whatever it is that's extraordinary you did that and you find that you then apply that also to whatever comes at you in life you you go out and you give talks now you tell the story because you weren't able to keep your job you had a ultimately lose that job. You worked so hard and you lived for right. now you came back and you went crashing back from that lost purpose, which can be crushing to people. Yes. And you now use that to, t- to help other people. What are some of the takeaways from all of that, that you've been through that you use to help other people when you go out and you give, give these talks?
2: I think it's just finding your new meaning in life. Um, My thing with police work was that I loved helping people um, and, and I had lost that and but I, I still have it. I found new meaning by, by training with people. I teach, um, I help train downed officer um, uh, um, drills and, and I do training for for officers around the state doing downed officer drills and and, i I found new meaning in the i can 't help people the way I used to, so mm. how can I still accomplish that in a different role and that 's how I do now I go and instead of actually doing it physically, I go out and I talk to people about this is how you do first aid, this is what you need to think about this is when you're in a in, in the middle of a tragic event, you know look to others to for help it's yeah. it's a connection that we have with others, and that it's a lot of We can make it through this. We just have to, you have to allow yourself the patience to do it. You have to look for it and you have to be willing to accept the help. So, so many times the help's there. We're just not willing to accept it or we don't acknowledge it. We don't identify with it. And that's really the message that I'm trying to bring that it it is there. And we don't walk this walk alone. You know, we, we, the way we're successful in anything in life is by helping people and having, and allowing people to help us really, in all honesty. And that's that's the message I like to bring home to people.
1: It's an important message, important. And everyone, if you're listening to this, I hope you really latch onto that message and what she says. Uh, I, there is guaranteed something in your own life that you are struggling with that you could most definitely use some sort of mentorship, guidance, support, whatever. And do not be afraid to reach out, especially those people who are dealing with these deep, you know, very overwhelming issues and falling into that gap of depression, overwhelm. do not be afraid to reach out to somebody. There are people there who can help you through most anything that you've gone through. Somebody else has gone through it before, even though you may feel like nobody else has gone through that. Once you start reaching out and you look, you realize you are not alone. There are other people who have gone through that. I love your message. If people want to get in touch with you, and find out like how to book you to come talk or share your story? How can they get in touch with you?
2: Uh, I'm on Instagram and also on Facebook under uh, at titanium Trish. Um, and that was just lack of creativity, titanium rod in my legs. So it's it, it. titanium, titanium Trish. Uh, and then also I can be reached out or you can reach me at, um, I have a Gmail account at the titanium at gmail.com.
1: Excellent. We'll, well share those from,
2: from everyone. So
1: yeah, we'll share that information you know, on our page and our sites too. If there was something and we're going to wrap it, we're running out of time here. So I'm going to wrap this up sure. quickly. If, if there was one thing you could tell people about police officers, law enforcement officers that you would like them to know, maybe one myth you'd like them to dispel or like to dispel. Is there anything you'd like people to know, especially in today's climate where maybe You know, the attention is focused on those few bad seeds as opposed to the greater whole.
2: Right. Um, I would like to say that it's hard for a person to see the heart and soul that goes into um, being a police officer and understand that 99% of the people, the, the, the men and women that are serving out there today are good people trying to do a good thing for our community and for each other. Um, And that I know there's every once in a while, there's negative things that come out in the media, and that's not the majority of things. Um, There's a lot of heart and soul that goes into this job. And this job is not an easy job. You're deciding life and death issues in half seconds. So be patient and understanding Um, and police officers deal with a lot out on the street, but for the most part, um, it's heart and soul. When you become a police officer, most of them are bought in for the good of the community, and that's all they're looking to do is provide good things to our community, making the community better.
1: Awesome! Thank you so so much for taking this. This time flew by; it just whizzed yes, it right did. by. And I had I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so much. Maybe we can have you back on one day to dig into some I'd, bigger, bigger, I'd love topics that topics because this is. Everybody, we have only scratched the surface of this extraordinary woman. Right. She has so many more the parts of her story, moving pieces to tell. So we would certainly love to follow up with you because your story is powerful. Your message is important. Thank you for your service. Thank you for taking oh, the time you. to be with us today.
2: And thank you for having me. This, is, this has been a joy. Thank you very much. Loved it.
0: All right, everyone. There you have it. That wraps up another episode of American Snippets. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Don't forget, if you got some value out of this episode, to share this with a friend, share it on social media, tag us at American Snippets. You can find us on Facebook, on Instagram, and YouTube uh, at American Snippets. And don't forget, we publish a lot of inspirational, motivational content on our YouTube channel as well that you won't necessarily hear On the podcast. So make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel at American Snippets. Uh, We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to learn more about Trish and her story, make sure you check out the full article that we did on her over at AmericanSnippets.com forward slash zero nine seven. You can watch the full video interview there and we'll include some links for you to connect with her as well. Don't forget, we are running a contest right now. So if you want to win a very cool prize, Uh, be in the running for a few of those cool prizes, you're going to want to head on over to americansnippets.com forward slash contest. We're putting this contest on leading up to our 100th and in celebration of our 100th episode. And don't forget uh, that we just released an early bird offer for our Patriot Pass, which is exclusive access to the Great American Summit, which is coming in April of 2020 in Washington, D.C., So to learn more about the Patriot Pass and the Great American Summit, just go to greatamericansummit.com. Appreciate you being here today. Now go out there and show the world how exceptional you truly are.